Please stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Though honor and dis through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown, and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is God's word. Easter changed everything. It brought the dawn of a new age. The Apostle Paul calls it the age of salvation. Jesus described it with the word shalom when he greeted his disciples saying, peace be with you. Shalom is a description of peace that we should have when all things are made right. In the last week's choral hymn, captures so much of what the resurrection brings. Light after darkness, gain after loss, strength after weakness, crown after cross, sweet after bitter, hope after fears, home after wandering, praise after tears. Sight after mystery, sun after rain, joy after sorrow, peace after pain. These thoughts encompass all of the yearnings of every human heart. They are brought to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They describe the treasure that God wants us to share with the world. Let's pray. Father, we are opening your word, a word that is life-transforming, a word that your Holy Spirit uses. We ask that you would speak to each of us this morning precisely where we are on our spiritual journey. If we're at the point where we still need to know Jesus more fully, meet us there. If we're at the point where we are ready to share the gospel, meet us there. If we are still anxious, 
about being a testimony and sharing the Christ. Meet us there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our study in 2 Corinthians, at the end of chapter 5, Paul called the Corinthians to be ambassadors to Christ, crying out, be reconciled to God. And now our passage this morning opens with verse 6 where it says, working together with him. Paul saw himself as a partner working together with God. We too are to be partners with God in spreading the gospel truths. While we can't change hearts, we have a very important critical role in speaking the word of God that the Holy Spirit does use to change hearts. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who always causes the increase in the growth. So we're, we're partners with God, though he's going to do the heavy lifting. You know, during COVID, my son Stephen, who's a pharmacist, partnered with many companies that produced vaccines. He had a key role in inoculating hundreds and hundreds of people against COVID. Now, he didn't protect the people. The vaccine gave the protection. He wasn't the vaccine that went into the people's bloodstreams. He didn't create the vaccine. He wasn't any part of the life protective elements of that vaccine. Still, he helped hundreds of people gain some layer of protection. But he had to do more than simply give shots to people. He had to ensure that he was administering the right vaccine in the right dose. He had to check everyone for potential allergic reactions. He had to make sure every area was sterile. God does a spiritual work through the Holy Spirit, but we play a very important role. This morning, we're going to see that it's not simply about sharing the gospel. But we're going to see first the message we need to share. Second, the partner we should be. Third, the testimony that authenticates the gospel. And fourth, the connection that opens hearts. So, when we partner with God, we need to make sure that we have the gospel message right. Chapter 5, verses 20, 21, give us that message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's God's message. It begins with the message, we must be reconciled to God. That means we have a broken relationship with God. 
And we all, every one of us, starts with a broken relationship with God. Because of our sin, it creates a barrier between us and God. And although this isn't popular news, it's necessary that people hear that they can only have a relationship with God if they believe. They need to hear that sin has separated them. Now, none of us wants to hear that. But none of us also would want to hear that we have a life-threatening disease. Doctors hate sharing that news. But if there's any hope of us accepting life-saving treatment, we must, under know this, uh, we must know the severity of our condition. The same is true spiritually. Unless we know the severity of our condition before God, we're not going to care about what God provides and life-saving provision. So, our message has to begin with the bad news that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. And that death is spiritual separation from God here and now and eternal separation if we don't accept God's cure. Once we've established that, we have the good news. The good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us described in verse 21. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God. Jesus takes our sin upon him so that it's removed from us and we get his righteousness. That's what Paul's telling us. And God illustrated this substitutionary atonement throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Passover, the Day of Atonement, the sin and guilt offerings. It was pictured in Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, where Isaac was replaced by a ram. The story of the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. We have all of these pictures of what Christ has done for us. And there's a lot of contemporary illustrations today as well, and many of you might know those. Uh, the one I like to use is this. God is a holy, perfect God. And I want to have a relationship with God. But I have sinned. I've rebelled against God. I've sought my fulfillment outside of him. I haven't followed his ways or his will. And this sin, represented by this book, is a barrier between me and God. This passage says, he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ never sinned. Because of that, he could be our substitute. He who never sinned became sin for us. He took our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We can be reconciled to God. That's the message we need to share. It's critical to get the message of the gospel right. And it's important to be wise and sensitive when we share the gospel. When Jesus shared the gospel with Nicodemus, a highly esteemed Pharisee, Jewish leader, 
He shared it very differently than the way he shared with an immoral Samaritan woman. Paul shared the gospel very differently with the Jews as he did with the Gentiles. And Colossian captures the way in which we should share. Chapter 4, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Each person. So, it's an incredible privilege and a weighty responsibility to partner with God. And we see this in chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. See, the right partners are those who are allowing the grace of God to work through their lives and to transform them. Now, this wasn't necessarily the case in Corinth. Although Paul was the spiritual father of every Corinthian in one way or another, perhaps every Corinthian could trace their spiritual heritage back to Paul's gospel. They should have been working together with Paul, working together with God, but many of them weren't. They were beginning to follow false teachers, teachers who were leading them into legalism and moralism or leading them into living lives of a license. And so Paul offers them a wake-up call. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We all need to hear that call. It's easy to drift away from the life-transforming grace of God into works sanctification, into to moralism, or just to fall back into our old ways of life, pursuing things of the world to fulfill us rather than pursuing Christ and living out of that grace. The grace of God is what allows us to experience the fullness of salvation. Fullness that Paul talks about in verse 2 when he says, today is the day of salvation. Paul wasn't saying, Corinthians, you're unbelievers, and so today accept Christ and be saved. No, he was saying, Corinthians, you are believers but you're in danger of missing the treasures, all the treasures of salvation that God offers when you live daily in Christ's grace. Treasures like those we described at the opening of the sermon. If this happens, if, if we don't live out of the grace of God, what kind of partners are we when we try to share the grace of God? First is we'll lose our motivation to evangelize. See, one of the greatest motivators is when we're experiencing God to the fullness, we want others to experience that. We want them to feel that relationship with God, to know peace, to know joy, to know purpose and hope and have wholeness. And we'll want to share the gospel, but if we're not experiencing that, why do we want to share our experience with others? 
that tempers our motivation to evangelize. In addition, if we aren't experiencing the fullness of salvation, people are going to look at us and say, Christianity doesn't seem to make any difference. Christ doesn't have anything to offer me. Are we letting the grace of God transform us? Paul's already showed us the way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. For we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, were being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes to the Lord who is the Spirit. It's about beholding the glory of the Lord, especially in the gospel and what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Dying for our sin, being raised in glory. And as we behold Christ, this passage says, as we see him in the wonders of his humility, his compassion, his goodness, his grace, his sacrifice, his love, his majesty, his power, we begin to become more and more like him. Stay fixed on him. Dane Ortland tells of a spiritual journey of Francis Schaeffer, well-known author and apologist. Spiritual journey he took late in his life. I quote, Schaeffer had gone stale. His joy had dried up. He was questioning the viability of Christianity at a fundamental level. What got through him? What helped change? Revisiting the gospel, the simple, wonderful, justifying gospel, which says we are acquitted of all our guilt once and for all on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Not only did this settle his mind philosophically, but his life began to blossom again. In his book, True Spirituality, Schaefer wrote, I became a Christian once and for all on the basis of the finished work of Christ through faith. That's justification. But the Christian life, sanctification, works on the same basis, moment by moment, living in the gospel and those truths. Let the grace of God we preach in the gospel be preached to us daily. Let it be the focus of our lives. Then we'll be the partners of grace that God wants us to be. You know, when we live this way, our testimonies can authenticate the gospel. You know, the gospel has a lot of competition. You know that well. There's many, many voices clamoring for our attention and presenting themselves as they have a truth we must agree with, that we must follow. Some of those are religious voices. Some of them are secular voices. How do we know which voices to follow? When Paul's authority was questioned, he appealed to the life that he lived to authenticate the authority of his gospel. How do we know Christianity is true? Main way is through the testimony of the believers and the way they live. And we're going to see in verses 3 through 10 
that Paul, just we're going to look at just four features of Paul's testimony. First, Paul's entire life was lived sacrificially for Christ. He gave everything, even to the point of death. We see this in verse 4 and 5. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. The impact of Paul's testimony and what he suffered, and in particular as he was beaten and imprisoned, can't be overestimated. When someone is willing to sacrifice everything, even to the point of death, we begin to ask the question, what brings such devotion? We begin to pay attention. Paul converted many through his sufferings. When he was in the Philippian jail, suffering, having been beaten in stockades, he began to sing. And it brought the power of God and it converted the Philippian jailer. In Philippians, Paul wrote that his imprisonment was advancing the gospel and that it was being spread throughout the entire Roman imperial guard. How do you get the whole Roman imperial guard to hear the gospel? Paul's way was, let's get imprisoned. (laughs) Sacrifices for Christ get people to wonder, what is it about Jesus that brings such devotion? Second, Paul lived an authentic, godly life in everything. Verses 6 and 7. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, by the power of God, weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. See, our world is marked by arrogance, insincerity, self-centeredness, and division. People long to see humility, authenticity, love, patience, and kindness. Paul manifested all of these qualities because he had the fruit of the Spirit. He was honest and forthright. You know, there are those who wonder, what difference would Christianity make in my life? They ask this because they often don't see any difference between the Christians they know and the unbelievers they know. Paul's holy character, peppered with kindness, genuine love, showed the attractive difference that Christ can make in a life. See, deep down, people know that they're not the people they really, really should be. But when you see what Christ does in the life of someone like Paul, you see that we can 
become the people we know we should be in Jesus Christ. Third, Paul's identity was grounded in Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we're treated as imposters, yet we're true. As unknown, yet we're well known. As dying, behold, we live. As punished, yet not killed. See, Paul's identity wasn't caught up with the way anyone else viewed him. Some people would honor him, others would dishonor him. Some would slander, others would praise him. Some saw him as an imposter, others saw him as authentic. It didn't make any difference to Paul. Paul's sense of self was well established apart when other people thought of him. His self-image wasn't boosted by praise and it wasn't diminished by slander. He knew who he was in Christ, a child of God, beloved, an ambassador for Christ. In a day of social media where people strive to get as many likes as possible, it would be refreshing to find someone like Paul who's truly authentic, content to be himself, not needing to be honored, praised, or well-known. When we have our identity in Christ, we make Christianity attractive. And fourth, Paul found his fulfillment in Christ and Christ alone. Verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Who can say that? Someone who has found complete fulfillment in Jesus Christ and not in anything else. Paul's circumstances could have led him to live a life of sorrow. I mean, we just looked at a litany of the troubles and hardships he endured. But they didn't. You see, ongoing sorrow is the result of losing something we think will fulfill us. So if somebody who is fulfilled by their bank accounts sees the stock market crash, they're going to crash. If somebody who is caught up in finding a sense of fulfillment in the opinions of others will be taken down when others don't think much of him. And those seek to find love only through humans, they also crash when relationships are broken. But see, Paul had his sense of security, significance, and belonging and love all supplied in Jesus Christ. So he was never crushed. He always, in his sorrow, could rejoice.
In fact, his sorrow becomes joy because that sorrow drives him to find his fulfillment more and more in Christ than in anything else. It begins to transform him into the image of Christ more and more, and that's what he wanted in life. That was his joy. And then something else happens when we find our fulfillment in Christ. We become more giving. See, if, if I were thirsty and somebody offered me some water, I would drink it. But if my thirst was quenched and somebody offered me water, I don't need it. And so I might look around to see who is thirsty that I might give that water to them. When we are fulfilled in Christ, we don't seek things from outside of us. We are ready to give just as Paul gave. He was poor, yet he made many rich spiritually because he was pouring his life out for them. In an age of narcissism, what if our neighbors witnessed Christians like this? Our testimony can authenticate the gospel. Our passage offers one more helpful insight for evangelism. And we see this in Paul's appeal to the Corinthians to open their hearts. Paul made this appeal because those following Paul's opponents, they'd close their hearts to Paul. Everything they did was looked at through negative colored glasses. If Paul was humble, they saw him as weak. If you pointed to his sacrificial lifestyle, they would say he was a self-promoter. If Paul was persecuted, that was evidence that he wasn't blessed by God. If he was successful in reaching people, then of course he must be a manipulator. See, everything is turned into a negative. We are more and more facing that in our culture today as Christians. Many view Christianity from a negative perspective. Elliot Clark, who wrote Evangelism in Exile, captures the current state of our culture. Our secular world is increasingly suspicious of religion. Christians are no longer a part of the solution. We're the problem. Pastors aren't trustworthy. Churches are suspect. Bible believers are bigots. The time is coming, and now is here when the world won't listen to our gospel because they respect us. We might add, because often they don't respect us. How do we turn this around? We, we can't just do heart surgery and change their heart and open it up to us. But we can learn from what Paul says to the Corinthians. Verses 11 and 12. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You're not restricted by us. You're restricted in your own affections. In turn, widen, widen your hearts to us. Do you hear Paul? 
Paul was intentional in trying to break through this heart barrier. He opened his heart wide to them so they could see the real Paul. Throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul made it his priority to clear the record with, with the Corinthians. He gave them the most complete picture of his heart, his passions, his motivations, his actions, who he was. And then he looked at them through God's eyes and he respected them no matter how they treated him or what they thought about him. We need to do the same with those who are critical of our faith. Elliot Clark continued, the time is coming and now here when the world won't listen to our gospel simply because they respect us. However, they might listen if we respect them. They might listen if we respect them. The key to opening people's hearts is to respect them, even if they don't respect us. You see, we want to talk, we want them to sit down, we want to share the gospel, we want them to basically listen and agree with us. That's not respecting them where they are on their journeys. We respect them by listening to them. Doug Pollack shares the results of a survey that asked the question, what do people outside the church want from Christians? What do they want? that will listen without judgment, that will avoid being pushy, that will allow them to draw their own conclusions, will show interest in their life and their story, and will ask them good questions. So let's listen. Let's hear their life stories then they might be ready to hear ours. We'll listen to a colleague's life story last week. And the conversation ended with, next time will you tell me your story? We have an invaluable calling to be partners with God, ambassadors for Christ. Let's make sure we have the message right. Let's be the partners of God. We should be transformed by grace. Let's have testimonies that authenticate the gospel. And let's open our hearts to everyone around us. Our Father, we thank you for your word. What a treasure it is. How encouraging and how challenging. Lord, even as, as we face that challenge, many of us, beginning with me, would say, boy, I, I fall so short. So I thank you for, for your grace, that we can live out of that grace to receive your forgiveness and hear your call and walk in your ways. Give us the heart of compassion for our neighbors that Jesus Christ has. Give us the wisdom of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.